0: It's Lama CFB. We're back on a Wednesday. Tyler is on the road, and so you will hear from him via car speakerphone, um, just as we've done in the past. But a lot in store, a lot to go over, and uh, some interesting things that have come up the last couple days. Uh, We'll definitely be talking about some notable names from a pretty significant ballot. All that and a whole lot more. This edition of Loudmouth CFB. It starts in just
1: a sec.
2: That's okay. a good win. There's a lot of people. It's like Woodstock,
1: except everybody's got their clothes on.
2: Personal file. Sixty-nine. Office. He was giving them the business. <laughs> a bunch of claim. These people don't give it. Love you, honey.
0: Welcome back, Loudmouth CFB, coming up on a Wednesday, it's Cam, it's BJ, Tyler, again, like I said, is on the road, but he will be set up, and uh, we'll be able to see him come the next episode on Sunday, but how are we doing today, guys?
1: Doing alright.
0: Fantastic. So, we are just trying to, try to figure this out, but... Um, why don't we go ahead and get things started for this edition? I don't know how long this is going to be, but we've uh, got a couple things that we want to talk about in this installment. And we'll start with the documentary that I think everybody has been waiting on this from awful announcing a long rumored Netflix documentary about urban Myers era with the Florida Gators now has a title and a release date. So, um, now as of this weekend, former Florida linebacker Brandon Siler posted an email about the project on Instagram. Email included its title, which is Untold Swamp Kings, and it will be releasing August 23rd, just prior to the start of the new season. Um, there is uh, looks like a uh, yeah, we've got a, an image. I don't think we have a a video or trailer or anything like that. Um, I doubt that. Yeah, not yet. So obviously there's a lot of intrigue here with the names that we're we're going to be talking about in this documentary with Urban Meyer, Tim Tebow, uh, Aaron Hernandez, the Pouncey Brothers, Chris Leak, a whole lot more, two national titles in this band, and obviously all of the issues that were um, that that emerged on and off the field, uh, this is the same company that uh, that with this untold series that told uh, other documentaries on Netflix, such as the Tim Donahue, uh documentary Operation Flagrant Foul, the Teo one, which is the girlfriend who didn't exist, Malice at the Platte Palace, obviously with that Pacers Pistons brawl. And then the documentary "Crime and Penalties," which is about the Dansbury Treasures. So, obviously, this is something like I said—we've all been waiting for a documentary to really, truly go in depth on what you know that era at, in Gainesville was like, with all the characters. And and Cam Newton was on that team; he's not even mentioned in the, among the you know the players that were listed, but he was there. Um, are you guys excited? Did you guys want this to be more of like the 30 for 30 or based on the Manti Teo documentary? Are you excited based on that one and looking forward to this one? I'll start with Cam.
2: I
1: I was going to say I'm okay with it either way. Honestly, I just wanted this to be a documentary of some form because the work that I have seen from this company has been fantastic like that Manti Tao one was really good the one about the thrashers was interesting like it they they definitely do their homework as well and so like I I don't mind it from them versus a 30 30 30 for 30 I don't care one way or the other as long as it gets done and it gets done right I, is all that I ask for, as a fan.
0: Yeah, and and there's so much material here that you could probably imagine this being, you know, two plus hours of of, of uh, you know documentary, and it really not even feeling that way. Uh, Tyler, your thoughts on the new documentary, and, and what are you looking forward to most in terms of like storylines? Obviously, I know you're. Uh, we we all have talked about. You know, Tim Tebow a lot, and and I know your love for Tim Tebow um, from back in his playing days. Uh, Is that what you're most looking forward to with this documentary? Uh, I mean,
2: obviously, I'm excited about it as a guy who's a fan of Tim Tebow. Watch this team from 2007 all the way through Tebow's end of his career in 2010. so, I mean, it's, it's hard for me to sit here and act like I wouldn't be excited about it. Um, I, I do hope that they don't really, I hope they don't spare too many people. Something that I've been really intrigued about myself for a long time. And I, I would love the opportunity to really be, see this through and see exactly what everybody's mindset was at the time because obviously these are all great football players they won two national championships in three years Um, but what does that really mean for Florida itself and and for the university and what did that mean to these guys how did they mess together to be great on the football field did they ignore the off field stuff that was going on like how How was Urban Meyer viewed as a head coach? Do they really think he was that great? I I, want to know all that stuff. So I'm hoping this goes in detail as much as I want it to. I know that other documentaries from this this group are are very good and very in-depth. And I'm hoping that they don't fall anywhere near shy of what they've done in the past on this one. This one is easily the most interesting to me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is apparently one that Urban Meyer did a sit-down interview with them for. So there's a lot of, of that was something a lot I was of,
1: curious.
0: Yeah, a lot of places something. that this could go.
1: Yeah, and that was something I was gonna follow up with. Was I was curious what his involvement would be because you know he is so protective of his image, despite what some of his actions, especially at the NFL level, may do make you think yeah. he is extremely protective of his image as a head coach and tries to derail anything that portrays him in a negative light. And I'm sure that there's gonna be some people who are like, Yeah, no, Urban Meyer sucked in this straight up.
0: Yeah, and and obviously I think there's a lot of people that are disappointed with you know the the you know, Aaron Hernandez, the attention that that storyline is going to get, but I, I just don't think that you can tell the story—not uh, certainly not of that team—and um, you know, I mean, off the field issues. If if you're going to do a documentary and you kind of have a, where are they now or what happened, what became of them, you've got to tell the good and the bad. I mean, as good as as things were for the Pouncey brothers, as good as things were for Tim Tebow in the league, you have to take that the good with the bad, and you know, Aaron Hernandez certainly had the talent while he was in the league himself, but you know, all of his issues and, and obviously, you know, being arrested for murder and and then found, you know, in his, in his jail cell dead um, by an attempt by suicide um, that's gotta be covered. And so I, I, I think that, you know, for anybody that may be criticizing this, I'd say just wait until we've seen the finished product before you want to I don't think "trashing" it is the right word, but uh, certainly there is some, uh, you know, disappointment with this documentary and the attention that mm-hmm. that Hernandez is going to receive. So, yeah. um, well, here's the
2: thought, though: it, I mean, yeah, he's going to receive attention, but what do you think that because he already, there's already a documentary about his situation itself out there? Maybe they take a little less time on that specific subject and more so focus on the rest of the team because there's a lot more to the rest of the team. I I think. I mean, you could go on the whole thing about you know their thoughts of of Amir Hernandez, but you could go on for hours about a lot of things. I'm hoping they kind of gloss over it, to be honest. And and like, like that's one of the few things that I don't think needs a lot more opinion Mm -hmm. from. Anything, yeah. Anyone, I think that it would be better to move beyond that and talk about other, you know, the other aspects because there's plenty more to it than, than
0: just that. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that that, um, you know, like you said, there's a lot to talk about. I think that you have to at least cover it and and in some form or facet, And I think that they'll, I think they'll do a good job. Obviously, I, I, I think I'm the one that. Um, I think I saw bits and pieces of the Teo documentary. I don't think I've gotten the chance to sit down and watch it in full. Um, but I imagine that they'll, you know, give it the right amount of coverage that it needs. And then they'll, they'll move on to, you know, the rest of, of the team or, or they'll, they'll weave it in when it's appropriate. And, and, you know, while they're telling stories of the team as a whole kind of deal, you know? So, yeah. um, All right, we're going to go ahead and move on, and we're going to talk a little recruiting, not too much, but uh, just a couple of nuggets here from the Clemson Tigers. They had a pretty good, um, well, a little less than a day, I guess, when you look at what um, they were able to do earlier this week with uh, three recruits that were in the, uh, the top 300, according to ESPN's rankings and two in the top 25 um, heading to Clemson for the class of 2024. The latest is four-star receiver Bryant Wesco out of Midlothian High School in Texas. Uh, he, he committed Tuesday. He's the 23rd overall recruit in the class of 2024, uh, and he joined linebacker Sammy Brown, who's 17th overall. Uh, that was announced on Monday, and wide receiver T.J. Moore, who is down – uh, at two hundred and sixty-five overall nationally, uh, so that bumps Clemson's class up just a bit. Uh, ESPN now has them at fifteen. Oh, well, we can look at two hundred and forty-seven sports here in just a second to see where they have. Uh, I think Cam's going to go ahead and get
1: that. I was going to say I've got that pulled up right here. Okay, they well, are they're currently ra- sitting at eighth. The they are ranked eighth. Twenty twenty-four.
0: Okay. Well, according to ESPN, they now have eight of the three eight, uh the ESPN 300 uh commits for the class of 2024 which is tied for the third most with Ohio State and South Carolina. Um so this is I think this is the uh Garrett Riley effect. Do you guys agree with with a couple of bigger name uh receivers and obviously we've talked about you know the it's not the dynasty necessarily anymore but Clemson still is a player in the country, is uh, nationally, and until you yeah. know, until they're you know knocked from that pedestal, I mean, they're still going to get good players and, and good recruits like this, Tyler. Yeah, I'd love to know exactly what you mean by this. they're not a the dynasty they, were, they weren't a dynasty to begin with. It's not like they were. No, I know. They
2: won two national championships. They're not a dynasty. They may be in the ACCs of things because it's been nobody but them and that's fine but beyond that one is that dynasty but two where I feel like they haven't had good receivers before Now they haven't had them recently and I can understand that
0: Mm -hmm.
2: point of of ideology we thought that Joe and Joe was going to be better Um, I mean there's plenty of names I could probably rattle off Uh, unfortunately I I did not know this was going to be a topic, so I didn't research any of this. Um, but bottom line is, is they've had good receivers. I mean, you go back in DeAndre Hopkins, Sammy Watkins. They've had great receivers in the past, and while they haven't had that same caliber of player and or production from a receiver, I think Davis Allen's probably as close as we've been recently. There's still a great, um, a great opportunity. I think Garrett Riley being there helps because nobody wants to go somewhere where an offensive coordinator really isn't good. Especially in a skilled position on offense. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a reason that offensive linemen are the only ones considering Iowa for the most part <laughs> um, when it comes to a higher caliber and that's that's not a dig or well, not an intentional dig but yeah. I mean it's about it. I mean, what is Iowa known for producing? Uh, it's not quarterbacks and it sure as hell ain't running backs and receivers. So you gotta you gotta just look at it for what it is. Clemson, I think with Garrett Riley has the potential, and especially if Kate Klubnik can have the type of year that he is expected
0: to have, mm-hmm.
2: not only by standards of you know, bouncing back from last year, but also a standard of what we Expected from him coming out of high school, and what we knew he was in high school. Yeah. Um, if those things happen, recruiting offensively for Clemson is always a pick up because one, a running back wants to play on a team that the defenses are scared of run and pass game, and wide receivers want to play on a team that they know they have a good quarterback and a solid offensive coordinator. I mean, it's a, it's a no brainer that Clemson's got to pick up stock on the opposite side of the ball, um, especially where they recently lost it, and they also lost it defensively. That's why they're not really competing for national championship appearances and yeah. playoff appearances right now, is because they're just simply not at the top of the, the food chain because they, they lost Broom and Tony Elliott left, mm-hmm. who I would argue was probably their worst case scenario for leaving considering Brandon Streeter was really struggling in the quarterback group and then got shoved into the OC role. Yeah. The, the overhaul that they've had to make is big. Clemson's next step, really, is, is not recruiting, because I think they can recruit and develop just fine. you got to learn to start hitting the portal. The yeah. portal's the biggest key to college football right now and the biggest key to success. And, and retaining success over a handful of years. That's why Georgia is going to be able to come out. And even though they don't have an experienced quarterback, they have really good wide receivers on top of Vlad who has been really good. They got Dominic Love in the portal.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: They get to come in next year, and they're still favorites. And there's a reason they're still favorites. It's not just coaching. It's yeah. not just the, the block D on the logo. I mean, there's a reason they're up there. Uh, Clemson is going to have to do a little bit more. And that is going to be, Davos B is going to have to swallow his pride and go say, hey, look, I know what I've said in the past, but we need the portal more than we think. Yeah. Uh, Because everybody else is doing it. You don't want to fall behind the times on that specifically, because then you lose any advantage in being able to gather experience and stuff all because, again, you don't want to step back off of your ego and allow it to... uh,
0: yeah, and when I said Dynasty, I don't, what, obviously the two national titles is what you think of, but that didn't mean I was meaning Dynasty in that sense. I was meaning more like the cream of the crop of the ACC over the past decade going back to the last time that, that Florida State was in the playoff, which was now. Well, I mean, let's, let's be honest here.
2: Clemson has been a great football program. They have not won less than 10 games outside of, I think they even won 10 in the COVID season, but I, I'm Outside of the COVID season, for certain, since I think 2010 or 2011, it's been a long time since they've lost less than less than ten games. This is mm-hmm. a hell of a football program. I'm yeah. not going to deny that, and I'm not going to deny that there's a cream of the crop in the ACC. Yeah,
0: but I'm not going to throw the word dynasty around for just no, anybody. No, no, no,
2: uh, I'm not doing it for Georgia. It's the only team that in my lifetime is given that term is going to be Alabama and it's really going to be well, it's becoming more of an era for Alabama rather than just a dynasty
0: at this point. Yeah. So. And, and you're right. It was 2010 the last time they won less than 10 games, mm-hmm. but this is big in terms of recruiting because this is the highest ranked receiver to at least commit to the Tigers since they got Bo Collins back in 2021, who was the 50 number 48, I should say overall commit and the fourth overall receiver This is an offense, guys, that ranked in the top two in the ACC between 2018 and 2020. Well, Trevor Lawrence was there, and sixth in the nation back in 2020. Uh, But the last two years, they have finished 11th in the ACC in 2021 and sixth last year in the ACC. So this is well, they are now. By the end of this season, the question of what the problem
1: really was will be answered.
0: And you think that it was just the offensive coordinator.
2: Yeah. I think play calling has a big bit to do with it, but Mm -hmm. it could very well also be a quarterback situation as well and a quarterback issue. So I I think there's a handful of options, and I think that either – here's what these options are. Clemson's offense gets significantly better and has a lot better play calling. And, and a lot better philosophy, I should say, philosophy, not play calling. Um, or, or actually, more so, and DJ
0: Uyunglele goes out and has a hell of a season over you know, over at Oregon State. Mm-hmm. That would, I mean,
2: I think that should answer the questions as it is there. Yes.
0: Yeah. So. With that being said, we're going to go ahead and move on. Uh, I found this interesting. This came out on Tuesday. This is from the former president of the United States Football League, um, the, This, at least the, the latest installment of it. Brian Woods uh, has created the Prep Super League, which is a spring football league for high school players that's set to begin next year with a six-week season and – It is going to use the NCAA rules and operate independently of high school state athletic associations. So players that participate would have the chance to profit off their name, image, and likeness without any restrictions. So this is a, you know, they're trying to go for a six week spring 11 on 11 type league for high school students, as opposed to what is already kind of in place for high schoolers in the spring which is the seven-on-seven seven state tournaments uh, around the, the country. Uh, you look at uh, where they're wanting to to have this run uh, between April the 19th and the end of May and May the 24th. They want teams that will be located in, in big cities like Atlanta, Cleveland, Dallas, Houston, uh, New Orleans, L.A., Miami, Phoenix, San Diego, San Francisco, Tampa, and a team in New Jersey as well. They're looking to start – hiring some of these coaches in the next couple of months. Um, Wood said, if you look at seven on seven, you look at these camps, at the end of the day, none of them are 11 on 11 football. None of them are going to give a quarterback, for instance, a live pass rush in a seven on seven situation. So if you're looking to evaluate football players in an actual football context, that is what this league is about. And they're also trying to uh, get sensors to put on these players to measure performance metrics that can then be shared with college programs and professional leagues. So, I guess the biggest question then guys is you know, we we talked about spring football popping up with these professional leagues. Now there's a high school option and is this good thing, bad thing as a way of giving, you know, athletes another chance to Boost their profile before they get into the college race, or is this just a sideshow, Tyler? I'm not going to
2: say sideshow, but here is a question I'm going to ask.
0: Okay. What
2: What are these kids? So let's let's go back a couple years, right? What What are these kids, such as Quinn Ewers? What are these kids, such as Arch Manning? What What is a Kate Klubnick? A JJ McCarthy? What do these guys have to prove beyond their high school careers? And, and beyond the amount of offers they already get. And then they're going to go out after their senior year and play in the spring league after they've already committed. I
0: I, I don't believe this is for senior. This says that they're um, – the players. are they be, looking for underclassmen? Players will be eligible to participate in the league only if they're enrolled in an accredited middle or high school curriculum and live in one of the league's 12 markets. Wood said the plan is to target prospects entering their sophomore or junior years of high school starting this fall. Okay.
2: That makes a lot more sense. I felt like you were saying you had said like he's entering college. Okay. Now that I understand that, I think, I think it's a good thing, honestly, that he's, that he's absolutely right about seven on seven. You don't get a chance – to see a quarterback's true decision making skills
0: mm-hmm.
2: on, uh,
0: you on to the
2: head from the beginning you, you don't get to see it now does, I think what this will do is it's going to stop some of the kids who are already being heavily recruited from, from doing it I don't think they're going to be the ones that go for this it's going to be the ones that aren't being looked at which sometimes tend to be the ones who are a little better anyways um I think that I think this is a really great opportunity to see um, to, to see what some of these kids got like I love the high school showcase uh, weekend because it comes on Friday and Saturday at week zero mm-hmm. for college football. I love that weekend because you really get to see some of the better players in, in high school football yeah go, go and, and play, this is kind of that opportunity just in the spring and in a different time frame and time period. It gives them a chance to continue to make to make money, as you said. I see no reason that this isn't a good idea, honestly. It, it is, like I said, if it's not involving kids who really don't have anything to prove because they've already signed, which is what I initially had thought, I, I see no no way that there's really a loss here unless you're a heavily-touted player. You go out here and then you, you know, if you're a quarterback, for example, you go out here and you just can't read a defense to save your life. And it shows that, you know, instead of, you're not playing the top-tier talent in your state, you're playing middle-of-the-road teams. I mean, that's it's kind of like what we what we talked about with Arch Manning. Like, we don't really know what exactly his stealing is. Other than the fact that his name is Manning, we don't we don't know anything. We know what his floor is. We saw it in high school. And we saw it um, in Springball. Yeah, but we don't we don't really know exactly where his ceiling sits because he played Division three Louisiana opponents. This is an opportunity for some guys like that to go out there and do and perform at, the, at a high level. But this is also an opportunity for them to go out there and and not look quite as good as some may think they are.
0: Let me take the other approach to this for Cam, at least. Now that this is an option for high school football players, we've talked a lot in the past few years about, you know, wanting multi-sport athletes when you're in high school. And the more sports (laughs) you play, the better an athlete you are. Does this kind of league, it it would not, uh, you know, there wouldn't be as an opportunity for these athletes that play multiple sports, because if you're playing, you know, in the spring, let's say you play basketball, your season might be over if you play basketball, but if you play baseball, if you're a track and field, um, you know, participant for, for any of these, you know, spring sports, they they have events that go almost to the end of the school year. And, and you're looking, at, you know, for for baseball in certain states, at least, you know, they, they have state championships that won't wouldn't end until after the school year has ended and after this season has ended. So does this not allow them the opportunity to to get that experience because they have are are going to the other sport or is this something that you you feel like it's it's not that big of a deal as long as they're in a sport in the spring, Cam?
1: It's it's hard to say for certain. It's going to be a case by case basis, of course, because mm-hmm. there's because it's also going to depend upon when they run um, this leak. Yeah, maybe- and, and I think
0: they're they're targeting uh, late April through uh, late May. I think the the date was okay. April nineteenth through May twenty fourth next year is at least the target mm-hmm. uh, for now.
1: Yeah, and I that pretty much kills baseball, but like, for instance, most states track and field programs are done before this. So, I mean, it, like I said, it's going to vary case by case, um, Mm -hmm. and sport by sport, because like, for instance, you and I both know from Texas track and field typically is done by the end of April, so someone who does yeah track mid
0: May I think is when yeah. they do state championships yeah
1: and so someone who does track and field is going to be less affected than somebody who does baseball where it's all throughout the month of May it's the playoffs um and so it for those who do baseball I'm sorry you're going to have to probably wind up picking one sport or the other over the yeah. other whether it be baseball over football or vice versa. Mm -hmm. Um, But for somebody who does more like track and field or even like basketball, because I know that that's another common one. Yeah. Your season's already long over with by, by now. So doesn't affect them. track and field less of an effect on them. And yeah, it, It'll be intriguing just because nothing is set in stone as well. Like, maybe this becomes closer to end of school year, into summer type of a mm-hmm. week. Um, just because there are people who do baseball that are like, no, I'm going to do both. Um, so, we'll see. I'll, I'll wait until we have official dates. Okay. Before I so can I- make a judgment there.
0: Tyler, as our resident dual sport athlete, uh, would you care to? Same question, kind of, you know, for you as an athlete, would you uh, have a difficulty picking one or the other since you wanted to play baseball and football while you were in school?
2: It wouldn't be difficult for me at all, honestly. Um, I, I would, I would pick the team I've been with for years. Honestly, I mean, why? Like, I, for me. I cared. I mean, well, in high school, you really don't have your name on your jersey, but I cared more about the name that I was representing on the front than I cared about my my name on the back. Um, But if you care about what's on the front, you automatically are showing respect to your own name in its own right. So, I mean, I would I would have stuck to baseball and the opportunity would have come my way, but you know, I can't speak for everybody else the house or you know, the dual sport athletes have to talk we speak. do they want to make money or do they want to go out there with with their buddies, you know, for their last couple seasons and, and play the whole year I would want to do the latter I would want to go out there and, and play with the you know, the, the team that I've been again, I've either grown up around or have played with since middle school and that would that would be more than enough and, and way more important to me and more fulfilling to me and than doing going out and playing in this league. That does not mean it would be completely off the table and I wouldn't consider it. But it's just the way it is for me. And I think there's gonna be a lot of kids that are the same way, but there's gonna be others who are looking for that way to make some money too, and that might be their opportunity. I think it's a tough decision to make, no matter what side you're on. And, um, but I, again, I stated, stated my my point of view and what I would do. But you know, I'm not everybody, so I, I can't say for sure what the right move is. I think it's very dependent on situation and personal mm-hmm. values. Yeah.
0: Well, That's good to hear. Um, It'll be interesting to watch that and see how it develops if they uh, are able to get this to really kind of take off and and get some opportunities for uh, these recruits as they build up their name and and their brand. And I mean, I imagine this would be a great way to get some offers for some of these um, athletes that don't typically get a whole lot of offers until late in their junior year, early senior season. Uh, just because of the way that it's been, you know, for them and their team at that point. So we'll definitely keep our eyes on that. Uh, our final topic today, our last topic of conversation, is the College Football Hall of Fame ballot was released on Monday. Uh, there are 78 players, and you can vote for up to 12. That is also. Um, you know, th- so those will be uh, however many candidates that are selected will get the um, you know that will be inducted into the to the Pro, uh, college football hall of fame. Um, trying to see what the requirement is, uh, how many uh, votes you have to get um, in order to be inducted. There are also a total of nine coaches that are up for consideration as well on the ballot with uh, each member that is voting for the hall of fame being allowed to vote for two. So I'll start with the coaches because there's a little bit less of them and this should be pretty quick and simple uh, to kind of go through and and see Out, out of these nine, I feel like there are two probably, you know, no doubt about it, coaches that will be inducted. And uh, we'll, we'll see if we have a, an agreement on this or not. So i going to start off with the uh, coach for Troy, Larry Blakeney, from the years 1991 to 2014. He's the first candidate. Uh, Jim Carlin, who was a coach from 1966 through 81 for three different programs, West Virginia, Texas Tech, and South Carolina. He is also eligible for induction. Pete Cawthorn Sr., who coached in uh, Texas for Austin College between the years 1923 and 1927, and then at Texas Tech from 1930 to 1940, is eligible. Uh, Those are a couple of of coaches that probably don't have as good chances as the others that we'll mention here, starting with Larry Coker, who was the coach at Miami between 2001 and 2006. And then coach UTSA for between 2011 and 2015. Mark D'Antonio coaching at Cincinnati between 04 and 06. And then obviously everybody remembers his time at Michigan State, a record of 132 and 74. And he has the second highest winning percentage out of, uh, or actually no, I believe, uh, yeah, he is the third highest winning percentage on the uh, this year's ballot. Uh, D'Antonio is number five. Ralph Friedgen of Maryland between 2001-2010 Fregion. is also... Friedgen. sorry, thank you. Uh, he's also eligible for induction. Daryl Rogers, who coached uh, a few different universities starting in 1965 with Cal State East Bay, then Fresno State between 66 and 72, San Jose State from 73 to 75, Michigan State 76 to 79, and Arizona State From 1980 to 1984, he is also eligible for induction. And then the last two coaches that uh, we'll talk about are that are eligible for induction this year. Former Nebraska and Ohio head coach Frank Solich, who retired in 2020, is eligible for Hall of Fame induction this year. And Tommy Tuberville, who uh, last check was a United States senator, if I'm not mistaken. Um, uh, he's coached from 1995 through 2016 at Mississippi, Auburn, Texas tech and Cincinnati. So nine coaches and I'll open it up for discussion and debate, but to me, it feels like Frank Solich and Mark D'Antonio are likely to be the two that get inducted from this class. Does anybody have any disagreements? Maybe Larry Coker has an argument.
1: Coker doesn't have no, do and that. here's why: simply
2: longevity of success. Um, I believe Frank Solich owns all but one of the ten-win seasons in Ohio history. Uh, I believe he owns all but less than maybe a handful of eight or more win seasons in Ohio University history. Uh, He has clearly done great things in Nebraska and was let go blasphemously, much like Bo Pelini was. It seems to be a trend Mm -hmm. over in Lincoln. Um, I think there's no question that Frank Solich gets in. And then, to follow that up, Mark D'Antonio did a great job at Michigan State. And I think there's no question, because of his winning percentage, that he would be up there. Larry Coker was great. Larry Coker was also great because of the players that were around from mm-hmm. his time of joining this team yeah. to the time that he left. That's the reason I would not put him in in this cycle just because of the names around him. It's funny you said you think he's less likely, and I just, and I'm not remembering the name, but the coach from Troy, and I remember the name
1: greatly from. Yeah. I'm. Mm-hmm.
2: It, it doesn't have a shot or maybe has a less of a shot than the others that you named after him. Yeah. I think he was a hell of a coach at Troy. I think he would absolutely be the guy that I'd put in if it wasn't for Frank Solich yeah. and Mark D'Antonio. Um, unfortunate, that's who he's got to go up against. But he'd be the
0: next third guy in line for me. Yeah. He, he has the most wins out of anybody that is eligible this year with an overall record of 178, 113, and one. But, his winning percentage of six eleven is behind, uh, Cawthorn Senior at six forty five, Coker six forty seven, D'Antonio six forty one, and Solich at six thirty one. As well as I believe he is behind Tuberville's six sixteen winning percentage as well. So, um, yeah, I. I that's, that's perfectly fine. Uh, but he put Troy on the map. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's the the co- the coaches now. I don't think I'm going to go through all 78 players because it's pretty obvious that... I, I think you should hammer down on like a few bigger names Yeah, the, if I were doing it. Yeah, the biggest names that are eligible for induction this year are likely to be inducted. Because mm-hmm. when you have a class that has Larry Fitzgerald, Michael Vick, and Terrell Suggs at, as the, the headliners, they, they are... There's no doubt in my mind that they are going to be uh, inducted into the to the College Football Hall of Fame this year. Uh, Vic, obviously, all the the things that he was able to do at Virginia Tech. They won the the national championship in '99, and then he went to the NFL. Um, Larry Fitzgerald, obviously, his contributions at Pitt and winning the Belitnikov Award, and then Terrell Terrell Suggs. Um, those those are the the big headliners. I'll go through. Some of the other big names that you guys will recognize um, as being eligible for the Hall of Fame. Um, you've got Flozell Adams, you've got Monty Ball, um, Eric Bienemy is eligible. Justin Blackman is eligible for the Hall of Fame this year. Looking at Dallas Clark is on this list uh, as eligible. Tim Couch, quarterback at Kentucky. You've got Kenneth Davis, TC running back from the 80s. I don't think he really has a, a good chance, though, unfortunately. Ken Dorsey is on this list. Wart Dunn is up on the list. Uh, we talked about Fitzgerald. Toby Gerhardt is on the ballot, uh, which it just feels weird that Toby Gerhardt has been out of the you know college sphere long enough that he could be eligible. Graham Harrell, Marvin Harrison, uh, Josh Heipel is eligible. Craig Hayward. Looking at uh, Steve Hutchinson is eligible. Uh, Brady James. You've got uh, James Laurinaitis, Ryan Leaf, Marshawn Lynch is on here. Kellen Moore, Terrence Newman, Haloti Nagata, Ken Norton Jr., Michael Orr, Julius Peppers, Paul Pozlesny, Antoine Randall L., Ron Rivera. Uh, you've got Richard Seymour. You've got Takeo Spikes, Terrell Suggs, as it mentioned, Vic. Chris Ward, Peter Warwick, and last but certainly not least, Arizona State place kicker Luis Zendejas. So there's quite a few big names. I think I mentioned more than 12, which is an absolute maximum
1: yeah, I, that you're I allowed to gonna, vote for. I was going to say, like, Not getting the name off all 78, but got pretty damn close.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean. I don't know know what it's going to be, but what do you you say uh, other than wow for what's what's there? Yeah, and and that's not even to say the the players that I didn't mention don't have a chance of making it in. It's just when the names that I did mention uh, obviously are are remembered and or still involved in, in college football, uh, so the names that are recognizable at least. Uh, I mean, it's tough to pick 12 of these players to be inducted. Um, so this is a the criteria for consideration: a player must have received first-team All-American recognition by a selector organization recognized by the NCAA and utilized to compromise or to comprise the consensus all American teams um, player becomes eligible for consideration 10 full seasons after his final year of intercollegiate football played. So um, after the, the 2012 season, I'm guessing. So I'm, I'm I, we had it. What Andrew Locke, not too long ago, what was he in? He was in last year's class. Um, so, um Post-football record as a citizen is also weighed while uh, the football achievements are of prime consideration. Uh, Must have proven himself worthy as a citizen, carrying the ideals of football forward into his relations with the community and his fellow man. Um, Players must have played their last year of intercollegiate football within the last 50 years. For example, to be eligible for the 2024 ballot, player must have played his last year in 1974 or thereafter. Um, players who are playing professionally and coaches who are coaching at the professional level are not eligible until they retire. And this is, you know, we talked about, uh, I think we talked a little bit on Monday about um, a name that's missing from this list. And we were talking a little bit before the show as to why that might be the case. It says a coach becomes eligible three full seasons after retirement or immediately following retirement provided he is at least 70 years of age. Active coach has become eligible at 75. Must have been a football coach or head football coach, I should say, for a minimum of 10 years, coached at least 100 games with a 0. .600 winning percentage. And that's where the hang-up would be for Mike Leach. Uh, obviously, we talked about uh, he was a couple wins shy of, of having the uh, the necessary winning percentage and he would have been, uh, I think he would have been, he still would have been in his early 60s, um, you know, before he, he passed. So um, I'm, I really hope that they waive that requirement for him uh, because there's really no reason to keep him out over a ticky-tack thing like that because of the way that, that you know, the tragic ending to, to his life.
2: I right, yeah, but let's not, Let's not sit here and act like only because of the unfortunate circumstances you belong in the hall. No,
0: I'm I'm not saying that. I, I, I,
2: I know you're not. I know you're not. But somebody, somebody's going to listen to that and think that's what you're saying, and it's not the case. The guy changed college football forever. The guy was a part of a duo that changed the game forever. It will never be the same as it was before those two uh, joined forces in in the. uh, what, it, what was it, off the State, right?
0: And then it was Iowa Wrestling before that.
2: Yeah, yeah. And then and then at Kentucky.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, no question in my mind, Mike Leach would have been, I believe he was, what, less than five games away yeah. from that 60%? Yeah. And even, even that, even then, four games, he probably could have done it if, the, if he was still around this coming season. Mm -hmm. I mean, considering they they won the Illinois game, they probably could have won by more. With with full minutes in the game. You turn that around and also think about the idea that their start of the season is not the hardest schedule out there. It's not my favorite, but it's not the toughest to get to four wins. Four games this coming year. I think their the toughest game. I mean, it's not out of the question, but I mean, they do host LSU, so it, it wouldn't have been impossible with him still at the helm.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I just, I don't see any way that, that you take, change the game again in so many ways for the better. Yeah, I just, I just don't see how you sit back and tell me the Hall of Fame is meant to. Tell the story of college football. And there's absolutely, there's a lot of players on this list that may get in that you could probably tell the story of college football without. Yeah. But I'm telling you, there will never be another guy like Mike teaching in terms of what he did for the game. And that, and that right there is, is just, I mean, basically priceless in terms of, of what he put into the game. So absolutely, no yeah. question in my mind. I'll tell you what, my favorite name on that entire list isn't even one of the most popular uh, players
0: mm-hmm.
2: out there, but Antoine Randall L., oh, yeah. if he gets in the Hall of Fame, I'll be happy. I mean, I, I'd be thrilled. He might not, but if he did, man, I absolutely love the way he did in Indiana. In a time where they had some of the ugliest uniforms I've ever seen, um, and, and some of the worst football records, <laughs> he, he, he willed that team to a few wins, and, and being a, a somebody who grew up in Big Ten, Big Ten country and watching Big Ten Network all the time all summer when they would do, like, full days of for each team of uh, football replays. Indiana Day, there was always at least one Indiana game from back in the late 90s with Antoine Randall, as quarterback. And, yes, I know what I said. He was the quarterback in Indiana. Yep. Yep.
0: Yeah. Um, That's when, when he threw that uh, touchdown pass to Hines Ward in the Super Bowl. I mean, that was nothing new because he was the quarterback in college. By the way, I didn't mention yeah. Alex Smith is also on this list. That completely slipped through my, my mind. Utah quarterback from '02 2 to 04 is also eligible. Um, yeah, that one, that one guy is nobody.
2: Um, no, I'm just kidding. Obviously, I'm kidding. Alex yes. Smith is a legend. Led them to an undefeated season. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Probably deserves it. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of guys. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I, I want to... I can't wait to see who it is. And, and so you said 10 full seasons. That goes back to 2013, uh, counting 2022. Yeah, goes all the way back to 2013 as the, the last season that was eligible. Um, as long as they are no longer playing in the NFL. Obviously, those who are Hall of Fame eligible were very good in college and mm. are likely still playing in the NFL. So yeah. they're not going to be
0: put on there for a while. So I would expect uh, the the players. to upcoming. The player that played the most recent that's on the ballot this year is Monty Ball, who was the running back at Wisconsin when they were in the, the Rose Bowl in the uh, 2010 season. He was there from 09 to 2012. So um, yeah. that's the most recent out of uh, any player on the ballot. Of course, you have guys like Justin Blackman that was so good at Oklahoma state uh, in the, the late aughts um, yeah. just yeah. other guys that are on this ballot. Uh, but those are the, probably the two most current of uh, Moore is a, uh, another one that was there uh, last played 2011, 2012 range. So, um, but yeah, it's going to be very interesting. I, I wish that we you know, uh, knew or, or wish that we could fill out a ballot between the three of us and, and send it in. But uh, I believe that that will ballot, those ballots will be voted on. Uh, they have through the end of June to get those sent back. And um, and then at some point, I imagine before the start of next uh, season here, coming up here in a couple of months, we'll know the class of 2024 for the College Football Hall of Fame. So, if somebody sends in a blank ballot. I'm finding it. <laughs> I don't think that's an issue for the College Football Hall of Fame. I, was say, uh, now I let's,
1: think less of that. Yeah, than baseball. It, clearly, it
0: happens in other sports, so it needs to be said. I, I, I think that it's it's an issue that is only um it, it, it needs to be addressed in that other sport. But I understand the the cynicism. So that's it for Loudmouth CFB this time around. A pretty good show, a little bit shorter than we normally go, but we still got a pretty good discussion and conversation with the topics that we had. We'll, we'll be back on Sunday with another installment. Tyler will not be via speakerphone. He will be set up in the new digs, at least uh, the temporary digs, until he's got himself situated wherever he may end up. Uh, Cam and I will be back. With you as well on Sunday. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe. If you enjoyed what you saw, check us out on Spotify, Loudmouth CFB. And if you're on Spotify, do the same over on the YouTube channel. And
2: we will see you on Sunday.